Hello and welcome to the She Reads Truth podcast, where we open our Bibles and talk about the beauty, goodness, and truth we find there. I'm your host, Amanda Bible Williams. And I'm your other host, Rachel Myers. And this is our third week in the four-week Deuteronomy series. And today we are joined by our friend and local pastor, Dr. George Grant. George is the pastor at Parish Presbyterian Church. He's the director of the Kings Meadow Study Center. He is also the founder of both Franklin Classical School and the New College Franklin. Dr. Grant, he gets a lot done. Just slightly impressive. Just slightly impressive. (laughs) Dozens of books. Listen, but here's the thing. He loves the Lord. That's the most important thing about him, and he loves the Word, and you are going to see that and enjoy that. This is one of those episodes that you will probably want to hear a second time because we learned so much, and Dr. Grant just shares so much wisdom and so much discipleship. He just cares for us as we open some harder books of the Bible, like Deuteronomy. So listen, you're going to love that. But before we get into the episode, I want to let you know that after Deuteronomy and after Hosea, that's what comes next, on October 4th, we're starting our community study on the book of Acts. So the Acts study book is going to ship to all of our subscribers at the whole month of September. But if you're not a subscriber, this is a great opportunity to save on your study books. It's only $20 a month, and we hear from subscribers all the time. Time about how convenient it is to know that every month you don't have to decide what to read. It's just there every month like clockwork. Or if you prefer, we now offer a digital subscription. So if you want to save your study book on your iPad instead of your bookshelf, head to shopshereadstruth.com for either one of those things and sign up. Listen, guys, Axe is going to come first for you, but do you know what comes in November? Say it, Amanda. Advent. <laughs> it's our favorite. All right. So if you are a subscriber, you are one of the people that is guaranteed to get the Advent 2021 book. You guys know we sell out every year, and subscribers are guaranteed to get that book. So get in line, become a subscriber, get Acts, get the other things that are to come this fall, and then November comes and Advent is at your door. All right, let's get to the episode. Well, Dr. Grant, you have not been with us since May of 2020. I have not. Um, but when a lot of water has come under the bridge <laughs> since May of 2020. A little. I am a little more so than usual, maybe. Glad to have you back. Thank you for coming. And in 2020, we had a beautiful conversation about the book of Ecclesiastes. Yes. And we kind of all sat stunned at how relevant it was to the age that we were living in, even the days and minutes that we were living in. Oh, there in was May so much we didn't know. Of too. 2020. We were- And I think that what we continue to find is that all of Scripture speaks to all of life. And so we are reading Deuteronomy, and we're surprised still somehow that what we're reading (laughs) feels so relevant. Yeah. I just finished an eight-month-long exposition through 1 Corinthians. Oh, cool. And it has just stunned me all over again. We're living in the Corinthian church, and how incredibly pertinent— Every single section, every passage is to our day. And it's just a fresh rebuke to my own heart to believe that this is true of all of God's Word. When will we stop being surprised by how alarmingly (laughs) relevant Scripture is to our lives? Well, I hope that like Habakkuk, I will always be astounded and wonder at the marvels that the Lord is doing. That's right. No, hopefully we grow in faith enough to where <laughs> right. we're not just, yeah. wow, this yeah. is, this well, no is here? Yeah. 
Exactly. So we are on week three of our four-week series in Deuteronomy. Um, but Dr. Grant, while we have you here, we would love to talk about what the readers will read this week, what our friends listening will read. Really, we're excited to have you here just to talk with us about the whole book of Deuteronomy. Yeah. If you want to give, I know we've had two weeks of that on the podcast, but I just love hearing you speak about Scripture in general, but specifically Deuteronomy. We were even talking before we hit record about how, again, alarmingly relevant to the New Testament, the book of Deuteronomy is. Mm -hmm. Yes. Deuteronomy is one of the most quoted books in the New Testament, if not the most quoted. There's some dispute about that because Psalms and Isaiah are quoted a lot. Yeah. But on several occasions, the quotations from Psalms and Isaiah are actually taken from Deuteronomy. So there are some who would say Deuteronomy is the most quoted book in the New Testament. Which I would never have guessed. No, no one would said, ever guess. Right. Name the most quoted Old Testament book. I probably in the New would Testament. have said Isaiah. Or yeah, or Psalms. Or Psalms. Yeah. But, or Psalms. but yeah, that's yeah. that's cool. It is quite amazing. It's also so rich because it is Moses's last will and testament. Yeah. Yeah. This is his recapitulation. After 40 years of wandering in the desert, those who are going to go into the promised land weren't there at Sinai. They weren't there for the giving of the law. They didn't hear the exposition at the end of Exodus of why the tabernacle is the way it is and how it was constructed and why they wandered in the desert for 40 years. And so Moses doesn't simply give a second giving of the law. He's telling this whole new generation, this is what the Lord has done. Here is where he delivered us. And so it's this really beautiful recapitulation of the whole story of Israel's redemption and a recapitulation of the covenant. In fact, covenant is the theme. Yes. That runs all through the whole of the book. Verses 1 through 4 uh, simply tell us the covenant history. That's the first sermon or the first oracle yeah, yeah. Uh, that Moses gives on the plain of Moab. Chapters 5 through 26 mm-hmm. is the second oracle. And that's a bit of what we'll be talking about um, yeah. today. That's where the covenant stipulations are laid out. And then... We have the ratification of the covenant in chapters 27 to 30. That's the third oracle. It's the shortest, but in some ways, it's the most powerful. It's so beautiful. It It is. is. Yeah. And it's a good, you know, this can be a tough book to read at times, especially without some of the context that we really need to understand it, because we can't help but read it through our 21st century lens. Right. And truth be told, God wants 21st century Christians to read through a 21st century lens. We want to see this in light of our day, but we've got to take into account the context, particularly when we come to passages that might jar us culturally or even ethically. So we have those stipulations laid out. It is such a book to not be overlooked. And I feel sad that we do. 
Yes. And yet at the same time, as we've already said before we turned on record, that there's some hard places in this book. And the result is that we tend to shy away from hard stuff. That's right. So to dig in, like what we've been doing for the last three weeks in this book, it's a really, really good, fruitful, helpful thing. And to my mind, so relevant for the 21st century church. As I was reading over the past couple of weeks, I think that the thing that just kept coming to mind that we know, but that Deuteronomy reminded me, God cares how we live. Yes. He cares Mm. about the way that we live and obedience matters, which seems to be the theme of so many books as we read them. Oh, wow. Obedience matters. And, And like you said, Dr. Grant, this is a book about covenant. So, especially in the case of covenant, obedience matters. Well, obedience matters because it's the way of God, which means that it's the best way, which means that it's the most fruitful way, which means that it's the way of the deepest satisfaction. That's right. So, it's not that God is demanding obedience because He wants us to be in charge. He wants us to obey because He made us to flourish when we do. We have an extra in the study book. In the She Reads Truth study book, it's on pages 96 and 97, but it's just called The Three Uses of the Law, because there is more than one use. There is the civil use, the educational use, and then the moral use. And that really is what you're talking about, Dr. Grant, where you're saying it's more than just, here are the rules, right? but it is a way to see a mirror and a window to see how we live versus against God's law and how Jesus lived according to God's law. Yes. And it's a way to, the civil use would be, you know, how can we keep a civil society? How can we keep order? And then the moral use is, of course, how can we know how to please God? Right. Right? Oftentimes when you go to the scriptures, you have these dictates, these case laws, and you think, where does this fit? And how do I walk this out? And there are beautiful principles from all three uses of the law, but they operate differently. But they all are intended for human flourishing and fruitfulness. They are for our good. Right. Yeah. And um, so it's one of the things, you know, I grew up at a time in the evangelical church where grace and law were pitted against each other. Yeah. And it was only as I really began to study the scriptures more deeply that I discovered, oh my goodness, the law is actually a means of grace. They're not pitted against each other. The law is what shows us Christ, leads us to Christ, causes us to depend on Christ. And the law is also the pattern of the creation ordinances worked out in a fallen world. It is not law or grace. Right. It, the law is grace. Amen. That's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. I love that. This is all so helpful, and it helps me to remember as we're reading, and I would just encourage our friends who are listening, that we are, you know, especially in Deuteronomy, but honestly, all of Scripture, we're always going to read things that hit our ear in a way where we're just either confused or distraught Mm -hmm. or that happens in Scripture. There are hard stories. Mm -hmm. And one thing that we like to remind ourselves here at She Reads Truth is that 
a blessing of having hard stories in Scripture, one of the blessings is that we remember that God doesn't look away from the hard things in the world, but that He actually engages and redeems and Mm -hmm. restores. But also for me to remember that, okay, if, you know, some of the passages we're going to read, especially in regards to women this week, are on first read through our 21st century lens without context for the time in which they were written, it's very, it feels wrong. Like I actually would make notes as I was reading this time around, like this, according to just Amanda, just reading, Mm -hmm. you know, and not really digging in, this feels wrong. This feels right. (laughs) You know, like this, and you can't help but have those responses. But I want to encourage myself and all of us as we're reading to remember to not forget what we already know, which is what we've learned about the character of God Mm -hmm. over time as we've read the scripture. And so if this is his law and his law is good and it is for our flourishing, Mm -hmm. then if it isn't apparent to me how that is the case, then the problem is probably on my understanding, (laughs) the side Mm -hmm. of my understanding, well, there's something here that I don't understand or know, and it's probably not a flaw in God's goodness. That's right. (laughs) Because as Moses will remind us in this full book and then stories and stories within the book, time and time again, he's reminding us who God is and that God is faithful. Mm -hmm. And so even in like the micro instances of these really specific examples that he's going to give, because he was speaking, and Mm -hmm. so he's going to give the law, and then he's also going to say... And here's how this might look. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and oftentimes, those are just examples. That's right. They're for examples. Yes. Yeah. Because They're he's not, speaking. This is an oral right. passing down. It's mm-hmm. a sermon. Yes. yes. And he's making application. And he's reminding as well as informing for the first time this generation that wasn't there for Sinai. That's right. They didn't know the bondage of Pharaoh. They didn't see the Red Sea parted. They may not have seen the manna in the desert. So it's a very, very different kind of retelling of the law. And so we have to take that context as a background to the way we read. We also have to remember they're about to go into the promised land where they are going to face severe trials Mm -hmm. and fierce Canaanite cultures that will oppose them at every turn. They're actually receiving these oracles on the plain of Moab. The Moabites are mustering, even as these sermons are being given, to destroy them. So a lot of context that we don't have. I found that as I was reading, it helped me to kind of go back to the Shema that we talked about last week or the week before in Deuteronomy chapter 6, because it reminds us of the heart of God. It reminds us of the framing of these things that you will hear. This is why. Yes. Yeah. And the Shema ends with that wonderful section where Moses says, now when your son comes to you in times to come and asks you, what do these mean, these commandments, these statutes, and these laws? Then you shall say to your son... And I love this part, not because I'm your father, I told you so, but instead, tell him the story. 
the story of how the Lord delivered us out of the hands of Pharaoh, out of the bondage of slavery. Tell your son the story. So we come to the end of the Shema with this incredibly tender picture of fathers and mothers walking with their sons and daughters along the way as they rise up, as they sit down, as they decorate their homes with the wonders of the Word of God, telling stories. And at the end of that, we have all of the rest of Deuteronomy. That is beautiful. Should we read? Yeah, let's read the Shema. Because if you're just jumping in on week three of the series, you're going, what is the Shema? (laughs) So Shema is, it's a Hebrew word, and it means listen or hear, which is the first word of this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Dr. Grant, would you read that for us? I will. This is the command, the statutes and ordinances, the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you so that you may follow them in the land that you are about to enter and possess. Do this so that you may fear the Lord your God all the days of your life by keeping all his statutes and commands I am giving you, your son and your grandson, and so you may have a long life. Listen, Israel, and be careful to follow them so that you may prosper and multiply greatly because the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. Listen, Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. And then this next section is where he starts to elucidate And he reminds them that they're going to receive what no people has ever received so graciously from the hand of the Lord before. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he would give you a land with large and beautiful cities that you did not build, houses full of every good thing that you did not fill them with cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. And when you eat and are satisfied, be careful not to forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then we have all of these commands. Fear the Lord your God, worship him, and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the people around you, for the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God. Otherwise, the Lord your God will become angry with you and obliterate you from the face of the earth. Do not test the Lord your God as you tested him at Massa. Carefully observe all the commands of the Lord your God, the decrees and the statutes he commanded you. Do what is right and good. In the Lord's sight, so that you may prosper, and so that you may enter and possess the good land that the Lord your God 
swore to give to your ancestors by driving out all your enemies before you, as the Lord said. And when your son asks you in the future, what is the meaning of the decrees, statutes, and ordinances that the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell him. We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt. The Lord brought us out of Egypt with a strong hand. Before our eyes, the Lord inflicted great and devastating signs and wonders on Egypt, on Pharaoh and all his household. But he brought us from there in order to lead us and to give us the land he swore to our ancestors. The Lord commanded us to follow all these statutes and to fear the Lord our God for our prosperity (laughs) always and for our preservation as it is today. Righteousness will be ours if we are careful to follow every one of these commands before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. This is the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Thanks Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. And that concludes this episode. Of, <laughs> so good. It's like that's all we need. But that framing is so helpful. Yes, this comes immediately after chapter 5, which is the re-declaration of the Ten Commandments. And so it starts with the Ten Commandments. And then from here, what Moses does is he says, okay, now look, this is what this means. Let me give you a few examples And he does all the way through the next two sermons. Exactly. And so as we ask questions in the next two sermons, so much of them are answered in the way that they began. Right. And that's what we always have to remember. Because we read some of this stuff, we don't have the context. Some of our brothers and sisters in places like Jakarta, Kuala Lumpur, Khor Koresh, the largest Christian city in the Middle East, in northern Iraq, about 20 miles from Mosul, about 30 miles from Erbil. They know this context. We don't. It's unfathomable for us. One of the things that I hesitate to say when we come to some of these hard passages is, now in those times... Yeah, that's a great point. Because these times are a part of the fallen human condition, and they still exist. That's a great in point. In huge sections of our world We just today. might not be able to see them out our window. Right. Yeah. Right. We forget so easily, and we're so, you know, especially in America, we're just very, you know, inwardly focused and very, like, individualism and our own just an every man for himself kind of thing. And so it's, we choose to forget, you know, that this is not the rest of the world, and That's that right. the world is very large, and our world is very small. Yeah. Well, let's dig in. Let's, yeah. let's give it up. We're going to, you know, we won't be able to go as deep as we always wish that we could yeah. <laughs> in yeah. each chapter that we're going to touch on this mm-hmm. week, but I think we do, you know, we can cover some good ground mm-hmm. and dig into a couple of these places that we've already referenced. Okay, so as we're getting into this week's reading, the Monday reading, which would be day 15, we're starting to, you know, we're starting to see some of these things. In fact, the first section that we'll read this week is about the cities of refuge, which to me is such a beautiful passage. It demonstrates God's care and His provision. But at the end of chapter 19, in verse 21, we see something that sounds familiar to our ears. It says, Do not show pity, life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand. 
and foot for foot. And then also in today's reading, we have from Matthew 5, verses 38 through 42, which Dr. Graham, I'm going to ask you to read in a minute. And then after you read, can you just talk with us about what we know, which is that Jesus did not come to refute or replace or rebuke the law, but as we'll read in Matthew five seventeen, even he said, you know, I've not come to abolish, but to fulfill the law. To fulfill. So yeah. how, what does that look like? Help us kind of get a clearer understanding of what that means. Well, the first thing that we need to remember is that this is a section that provides protection and justice right. for both the accused and the accusers. Mm-hmm. This is extraordinary. So one of the things that we have to do is we have to recognize that justice and mercy are not opposed to each other. Mm -hmm. Instead, justice and mercy are established here in the midst of a vengeance culture, in the midst of a pride and shame culture. So one of the things that God is doing is he is breaking that pride and shame culture. Yeah. He is demonstrating how heinous Sin really is. Part of what the law does, according to the book of Galatians, is it drives us to Christ. It causes us to be desperate for grace because it shows us the unbending standard of righteousness. It shows us what we deserve. So the law is saying, here's what you deserve. That's exactly right. I mean, this is the introduction of what is just. What is just. And And you can't have mercy without justice. You can't. The wages of sin, Paul tells us, is death. What's so extraordinary about the gospel is that God says, this is the law. Mm -hmm. There's no escaping the law. I can't brush aside the law. I can't excuse your sin. I can't ignore your sin. I can't avert my eyes from your sin but I can pay for it myself. That's what's so extraordinary. So what this passage does is it shows us the heinousness of sin, the heinousness of fraud, the heinousness of either committing a crime or accusing someone else of committing a crime that they didn't commit. So that's why Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5 are so powerful in light of of this whole thing. There Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This is something that Jesus does over and over again in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, okay, you've heard it said, this is the law. And then he goes and he shows the heart. He goes deep. He says, but I tell you, Don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. As for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, let him have your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who asks you and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. It's a literal doubling down. It's a literal doubling down, and Christ is instructing his disciples in the midst of a brutal, broken, fallen world to be visible means of grace. He's not saying, 
that this is not illegitimate. He's acknowledging that this is brutal. But what he's saying is, is that I'm calling you in this context to be a visible means of grace, a trophy of grace in the midst of a pride-shame world, in the midst of a vengeance world, I'm calling you to be the emblems of a whole new way. He's saying there's nothing that anyone can take away from you. They want this, give them that too. There's nothing anyone can take away from you that comes close to what is kept in heaven for you. Exactly. And he's reminding them that all their stuff is just his stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, this is one of the things that the minor prophets do over and over again. When they're looking at the oppressors and the destroyers of life, God reminds them, look, these are dire days, but there is a God of justice, and the rescue may not be quite the way you expect it or want it or when you want it, but be assured there is a God in heaven, and he will make justice known. Amen. So Jesus is not negating that. He's simply saying, here's your job. Be trophies of grace in the midst of this fallen world, because I am shattering the way of the fallen world. And when he says, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, what we see is the justice of all of us deserving death, the wages of sin is death. Exactly. He did not come to abolish that, but to fulfill it. He comes to fulfill it and... With death. And he comes... As we're told later by the Apostle Paul, he is actually nailing the powers and the principalities to the cross and making a spectacle of them. How does he make a spectacle of them? It's not always by shaming them because he's coming to shatter that pride-shame culture. He makes a spectacle of them by heaping coals upon their head. Literally, he's showing grace where grace is entirely unwarranted. It's like that scene in Les Mis. It is Les Mis. (laughs) This is... Where the authorities bring Jean Valjean in, and they're like, look, you know, to the priest, like, he's stolen all of these things, and the priest says, you forgot something. These were a gift, and this too is a gift. I describe lame as like nobody knows what that is, and of course everyone knows, but yeah. (laughs) This episode is sponsored by Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning community, and they're offering our listeners a free trial premium membership because you are a human and you were born to create. Learn, express, and discover what you can make with online classes from Skillshare. There are so many fascinating classes on Skillshare on topics like graphic design, creative writing, even web design. There's one that sounds super fun to me called Storytelling 101. It talks about character, conflict, context, and craft. Whether you're a dabbler or a pro, a hobbyist or a master, you are creative. That's why Skillshare has classes for every skill level. With short lessons, hands-on projects, and classes designed for real life, you can tap into the creativity we all have inside. Skillshare helps you move your creative journey forward without putting life on hold. 
you'll create real projects and get the support of fellow creatives so you can accomplish real growth. Explore your creativity at Skillshare.com slash SheReadsTruth, where our listeners get a one-month free trial of premium membership. That's one month free at Skillshare.com slash SheReadsTruth. What I see in, as we turn the page, you know, going to now in day 16 and chapter 21, we get more talk of specifically the crime of murder and like how situations are to be handled. You just can see this foundation of the Lord in his law honoring and regarding life. You know, that human life matters. And so, human dignity matters. Yes. You know, even someone who commits a capital crime, we're not to rejoice and defile the body and all of the. I mean, so we have this care, even for the most heinous of sinners. Mm -hmm. That's extraordinary. And again, it should remind us of God's care of life. God's care of women, uh, care of children, the care of even the rebellious, Mm -hmm. it's all beautifully portrayed here, albeit in a way that kind of strikes us as a bit harsh at first glance, Mm -hmm. but you see the mingling of justice and mercy woven together to create a pattern where God is once again breaking the old standard of the fallen world. That's right, yes. You know, that's a good way to put it, because at first glance, I can see the honor and dignity, the regard for human life. And then when I get, you know, right after that is this passage about how to treat captured women, because we're in a a war situation, right? And, And they're about to be conquering land and taking over the promised land. And even in that, at first glance, and even like second and third, I have a hard time like reconciling all of it. But even in this, I can see the hints that actually like push me to understand further, like dig deeper and not... It's one of the things I love about reading the Bible is that when we say, okay, I don't understand this, but I know the character of God, and I've seen proof of it over and over in the scripture, in my own life. It doesn't ask me to check my intellect at the door and say, well, then I'll just brush past this because I know this is true of God. And what it actually does is it encourages me to dig into the hard things and see how those are one in the same, like how God's goodness is also in this. And so there's some language that we're going to see throughout the reading as you guys read this week, that in the midst of what feels harsh, then there will be something that you can tell is like, wait, this is kindness. There's kindness in here. Well, it looks really harsh because again, this is um, anticipating a time of war. That's right. A time of captivity a time where cities are captured, where armies are engaged. But over and over and over again, the gist of what God is saying is, you can't be like them. Right. So even when it seems really harsh, you're a people set apart. You don't act like those Canaanites. 
here are some boundaries that you have to have. So we look at captured women, for instance, and we think, oh my gosh, what have we got here? We've got a form of almost slavery. And yet, what Deuteronomy says is, oh, no, no, no. You are not to treat this woman like a slave. You can't sell her. You may discover that your home life is not compatible, and it makes provision for divorce, but you can't treat her like a slave. So we look at this and we think culturally, oh my, this is just a little too tough to swallow. But set in the context of our Yazidi women today captured by ISIS, is set in the context of what we're seeing with the, you know, the Agar peoples of Mongolia or of Western China, what we're seeing here is God telling his people, no, 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 yeah. you are not to be like the world. Right. And there are even times in Deuteronomy where he says, you know, and I'm just paraphrasing from my memory, but, you know, they are to recognize that you are a wise people and that you are like, that this is not just, it's going to be very apparent that you are different and that you are guided by a different set of laws. And which, again, so relevant <laughs> to our right now life, yeah, right where we yeah. are in the right. 21st century, right? Well, and that's the benefit of reading scripture over time is that we've learned that when we come across big questions or hard passages, that those are not opportunities to look away but to dig in. Because right. when we do, every time we push in and we find that that it's even better than we thought, or that the God whose character we have come to learn in Scripture is not changing, like the shifting shadows. I was reading or listening to a podcast about Deuteronomy a while back, and somebody was saying that one way to frame the format of the book of Deuteronomy is to kind of think loosely of that Ten Commandments recapitulation in chapter five as like a table of contents for what's to come. So sort of like a, let me explain of that. And I remember when we talked, Amanda, with Jen Wilkin, she said, you know, if you're feeling too familiar with the Ten Commandments, one way to engage with the Ten Commandments is to write out the converse of each command. And so, you know, do not murder. We could rewrite it as honor all life. And that's what we're seeing here. So Which is what the larger catechism of the Westminster Standards does. In the larger catechism, it says, you know, for each of the Ten Commandments, here's what's forbidden, and there's this long list. Yeah. And then here's what's commanded. Yes. And then there's this really long list. And it's <laughs> so eye-opening. Yeah. And that's exactly what Moses is doing in Deuteronomy. It's the honor He's, all life. That's right. One of the things that Moses is doing by showing us this is both the absolute righteousness of God, but his accommodation for our fallen estate and our broken world. We tend to read the Bible as if Genesis 3 hadn't happened. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it'd be really nice to forget that part, yeah, yeah wouldn't it? you know, <laughs> if we still had all of the creation ordinances of Genesis 1 and 2 intact, then we would be able to see God throughout the rest of the Bible in this uh, perfected context without the shading of our fallen world between us. That's right. 
But what we see in Deuteronomy is God interacting with that fallen world in the midst of all of the darkness and the shading. And as a result, that there are moments where it's jarring. Yeah. And it's jarring precisely because that this is the invasion of righteousness into the midst of a wicked and perverse world. Yes, yes. But the thing that you're saying, Dr. Grant, is that we sometimes think that Genesis 3 didn't happen, that there is no fall, there is no curse. And we see the beauty, goodness, and truth around us. We see nature hinting at the glory that is to come. There's a foretaste, but also this is a poor, fallen world. And all of nature, all of humanity needs to be redeemed. And so you're saying here that God is speaking not just to what should be, but he's entering into what will come. And he's laying out what redemption does in the fallen world. In other words, the work of redemption, starting in Genesis 3 and going all the way to the end of the book of Revelation, is the story of how God is restoring Genesis 1 and 2. Right. It's the identification of the earth. And I've never heard the phrase identification, but I like that. <laughs> Isn't that a great word? Yeah. So part of the reason why we tend to have a lot of Christians confused about law and grace is that we think that the purpose of redemption is just the cross, saving us from our sin and bringing us to heaven. So we can go to heaven. It's about us. Yeah. That is not the purpose of redemption. Over and over and over again, when we have the gospel proclaimed in the scriptures, the apostle Paul almost always begins with creation. Why, in Colossians, for instance, does he begin with creation, a reminder that the Lord is the one who spun the planets Before into their things. places? Yeah. Before all things. Why is it? Well, because he's reminding us of the creation ordinances, the things that we've lost sight of. God is sovereign. His creation is good. He makes man in his own image. He makes them male and female. He unites them in marriage. He's called them to be fruitful. I mean, these are the creation ordinances, and that's what we lose in the fall. So the law and the gospel are the progressive revelation of how God is giving us that broken world back. Identifying it. He's <laughs> identifying the world. I one time heard Andrew Peterson say, and I love this, that God is not making all new things. He's making all things new. Amen. <laughs> and that is the work. That I'm so thankful because I could be replaced in a minute. But instead, he's making me new. It's why Paul yeah. says very clearly in Corinthians, he says that our redemption makes us new creations. Mm-hmm. He's showing us this restoration, this identifying of ourselves as a part of this glorious identifying of the whole world, of all of creation that groans for the day of redemption. This is such good context as we are in the nitty-gritty of Deuteronomy this week, where we're really reading things that we're like, wait, what? Like Sometimes there'll just be a passage that's really short, Mm -hmm. and it just seems kind of out of the blue, and you're like, wait, 
what? <laughs> but it's this is such a good reminder. I mean, even when we're in, let's say, for example, day 17 this week in Deuteronomy 23, there's this line, verse 14, for the Lord your God walks throughout your camp to protect you and deliver your enemies to you. So your encampments must be holy. Like these rules and reminders for like why God is in their midst. And this is so radical. And so like there is a purpose behind all of it. And it goes all the way up. Like if we think of ourselves getting like a a higher view, a higher view, and we go all the way up to, you know, 30,000 feet and look down, we're like, okay, Genesis, Mm -hmm. (laughs) making all things new, not all new things. And even how, and then as his people... There's a lot of talk in Deuteronomy 24 that are just so much dignity for the marginalized. Mm-hmm. Right. And so how even God's people are to be these vessels for redeeming and for, you know, and for... Trophies of grace. Trophies, right. of grace. Trophies of grace. And the provisions for the outsiders. I mean, yes. our beloved Ruth was provided for in Deuteronomy chapter 24 in verses 19 through 22. Yes. You read that and you're like... Oh, that's why she got to follow behind. Like, that was the provision there, for her. There it is. Yeah. Let's read it real quick. As you said, where is it, Rachel? I would say 24, 19 through 22. Dr. Grant, um, will you read it? When you reap the harvest in your field and you forget a sheaf in the field, do not go back to get it. It is to be left for the resident alien, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you knock down the fruit from your olive tree, do not go over the branches again. What remains will be for the resident alien, the fatherless, and the widow. Hmm. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, do not glean what is left. What remains will be for the resident alien, the fatherless, and the widow. Remember (laughs) that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, therefore, I am commanding you to do this. Isn't that beautiful? I just love it. I love that the Lord is so crystal clear yeah. <laughs> about His heart for the resident alien, the fatherless, the widow, and how it's tied to that refrain that we hear throughout the book of Deuteronomy to remember, remember, mm-hmm. remember. It's just beautiful, and I think it's such a beautiful snapshot of God's heart. It's so countercultural to anything else in the world at that time and even now. but That's mine. Yeah, That's mine. yeah, this is mine. I need to go get my thing. So here's a question, Dr. Grant. We've heard the phrase, you know, it's the spirit of law, not the letter of the law, you know, and that's helpful to understand. That's a helpful phrase to hear. In a passage like this, I don't have a field or a sheath to leave behind. I don't have a vineyard or olive trees. But what is the spirit of the law here, and how can I obey that today? I've heard Rosaria Butterfield talk about this in the context of hospitality. Yeah. One of the things that she says regularly, and I love her, and I've got a chance to spend some time with her this past summer and interview her. (sighs) One of the things that she says is, our view of hospitality is typically that we open our homes to the people that we sort of want to get to know and that we have a lot of things in common with and that we want to have fun with. But God's view of hospitality is to open 
the blessings that we have received from the hand of the Lord in our home to those around us who may have needs. The picture of gleaning can be immediately applied, she says, to ordinary hospitality to the lonely, the brokenhearted, the isolated, and the alone that we see right in our own church. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yes. I just came back from a youth camp, and one of the things that I love watching is when I see a kid with the gift of mercy go and find the one kid who is sitting on the fringes, Mm -hmm. who's left alone, who's isolated, and they grab them and they bring them in. Mm -hmm. That's a part of what the spirit of this law is. Part of this is obviously also stewardship. It's giving. It's making sure that we're a part of those ministries that care for the hungry, the poor, the despised, the rejected, that we're caring for Mm -hmm. women who are in the midst of a crisis pregnancy or those who are in the midst of a crisis of brutality in their home or their workplace. We need to be alert to all of that. And we need to have eyes to see it. Part of what happens when we're really comfortable is that we train our eyes to overlook needs rather than to see them. And part of the discipline of grace really is to learn how to see again what God sees. Yeah. I think back to what you read for us in Matthew at the beginning of this episode, you know, where it's like, well, if he, you know, wants this, give him this also. It is a different thing than that, but it is also very similar in that it's reminding us that everything we have. Yeah. It's the spirit of the law rather than the letter of the law, which is what Jesus wants us to do. And that's really what case law is. Moses in Deuteronomy chapter five says, here are the Ten Commandments. Then in chapter 6, he says, here is the glorious Shema. This is the, the working out of your profession of faith. And then from there, all the way to the Song of Moses in Deuteronomy 32, he's saying, let me give you some examples. Yeah. He's giving the spirit of the law. Yes. Yes, that is so helpful. Oh, good. Yes. So as we move into the final day of this week, the final reading day, day 19, we move into a new section in our book. We're now into section three, um, which is a different division. The thing about Deuteronomy, and honestly, almost every book of the Bible, there are many ways to divide them. You can look at them covenantally. You can look at them in terms of genre. We always forget that there weren't chapters and verses (laughs) when when these were written. And so there are sometimes many right ways to divide it. It just depends on your approach or your audience or whatever it is. But what we know, at least for our readers is that we've moved into section three, which is sort of this moment of an invitation for response. Now that you've heard, how now will you decide to live this way? Will you, will you enter into this covenant? Mm-hmm. And so it's this explanation of blessings and curses, and then even this sort of explanation of, I mean, again, Moses is speaking to them, but he's not going to be joining them. But what he's saying is, hey, when you get to the promised land, you're going to repeat the law. You're going to consecrate it. You're going to offer sacrifices. This is what you will do. This Here's is the ceremony. It's very clear. Yeah. Here are the things that you'll do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And we typically talk about this as blessings and cursings. Yeah. yeah. The Hebrew words 
are a little different. Okay. The word that we translate oftentimes as blessing really could just as easily be translated as promises. Okay. And the word that we translate for cursing could just as easily be translated as sanctions. Okay. To think of this as promises and sanctions, as opposed to blessings and cursings, helps us see it's not just this harsh line of division. It really is the working out of God's purposes to make the people flourish. And again, we have to think of this in terms that the law is not intended to be this harsh hammer. Instead, it's the beckoning of the people to walk in such a way that they do prosper. Mm -hmm. They do benefit. They do bear fruit. And more than that, that they love the story of God's redemptive work in their lives so much that they do what Deuteronomy 6 says. They pass it Mm -hmm. on to their children. That's right. It's the going beyond, oh, I will live under this law as though it is a heavy yoke. Right, it is the the celebrating of the law as a way to have relationship right. with the God who delivered them from Egypt, and so that's what we see, you know, in day nineteen in Deuteronomy chapter twenty seven. There's this rhythm that begins right. where you know these laws are given, and then the refrain is, and all the people will reply, Amen. Amen. And then another law is given, and then all the people will reply, Amen. Yeah. And they're celebrating the rules. And the thing is, is what God is saying is, I don't want you... And agreeing with them. Yeah. Right, right. He's saying, I don't want you just to obey me in what is right and good and true. Mm -hmm. I want you to love what is right and good and true. Mm-hmm. That's what every parent wants for their children, isn't it? Exactly I mean, yes, right. we, yeah. we love it when they say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Sure. That's great. So darling. But what we really want is to know yeah. that their heart mm-hmm. has embraced mm-hmm. what is right and good and true. Mm-hmm. Right. Mere conformity is not what God is after. It's not what any parent is after. Instead, we want to see that heart attachment, that heart flourishing that really transforms our child's worldview. And that's what we're seeing here. Moses is laying out the biblical worldview. You'll be blessed in the city. You'll be blessed in the country. Your offspring will be blessed. Your land's produce and the offspring of your livestock, including the young of your herds and the newborn of your flocks, your basket and kneading bowl will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. That's the beauty of obedience. Right. And the horror and the sadness of disobedience is not just that the blessing is removed, it's reversed. Yeah. Yeah. That feels like such a great place to end week three. Mm -hmm. This is fantastic. Thank you so much because it lands us in this context not of blind obedience or compliance, but loving the law and loving the God who wrote the law, because it binds us to Him. I think that's beautiful. And what I want to do, I know we have our standard way of wrapping an episode, but there is this passage from Hebrews chapter 10 in day 18 of today's reading that 
feels like such a beautiful way to end our time, our conversation together, that I'd really like to do that instead, if that's okay with y'all. Dr. Grant, would you read Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 through 23 for us? I'd be delighted. Every priest stands day after day, ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time, which can never take away sins. But this man, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the (laughs) right hand of God. He is now waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. For after, he says, This is the covenant I will make with them after those days. The Lord says, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds, and I will never again remember their sins and their lawless acts. Now, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. Amen. He did not come to abolish the law, but Mm -hmm. to fulfill it perfectly. And so now we live a life of obedience in response to the fulfillment of the law in Christ. The law's loud thunder has been silenced, and instead... It sings the song of redemption. Beautiful. Dr. Grant, thank you so much for coming. We can't let as much water come past before you come back. That's right. Because thank you for coming. It's my delight. Thank you. And next week, we will be back um, with week four and our final week of the Deuteronomy series with Elizabeth Woodson. And then in week four, guys, we're going to talk about the death of Moses and the significance of that and launching the people of Israel into the promised land. And the Song of Moses, and one of my song favorite of Moses. passages. <laughs> you can come back if you want and you can join us. <laughs> <laughs> so good. All right. Well, friends, until next week, Dr. Grant, what do we say? Keep opening your Bibles. Keep opening your Bibles.